You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. All right, today's podcast is a special episode in honor of National Coming Out Day. My guest today is 81-year-old Michigan writer Jim Girardi, author of Jerome, a gay coming-of-age story. Jim didn't come out himself to his parents until he was 39 years old in the 1970s. It was more or less common before the 1970s for gay men not to come out to their families. If the families knew, no one said anything. That could go on for years and often did. If you had a partner, which Jim did at age 39, the partner was called your friend. Some of the older members of the family, like aunts and uncles and grandparents, thought of you as a bachelor or confirmed bachelor, and everyone let it go at that. Then the gay movement's come-out-of-the-closet push took place, which made Jim rethink the friend and bachelor dodge, and he came out to his family. Luckily, they were fine with it. They treated his partner as one of the family. But what has gay life been like for him as an older adult? Jim joins me today to discuss how things have changed for him and around him, as well as what's led him to publish his book, A Searing Story of Two Teenage Boys and a Girl Seeking Their Sexual Identities in an Era Now Remembered as the Fabulous Fifties. At 17, Jerome Larentino faces the dilemma familiar to every LGBTQ youth, to every gender, whether how and when to tell mom and dad. But for Jerry, it's the 1950s. No internet, no visible gay rights movement, no TV programs with gay characters. He's alone, he's scared, but he has a plan, a wild and crazy plan, and the will to carry it out. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here. It's great to be here. I think, for full disclosure, we should let people know we're friends. We've been friends for 20 years. Indeed. And I have valued your friendship uh, for a long time. Thank you, and the same. Yeah. Sure. Good. All right. So, um, so why don't we just start? Like, um, my first question to you would be: When did you first realize that you were gay, and what triggered that realization? Um, I, it really hit me at age sixteen. Uh, before then, I had been going back to seventh and eighth grade. I had been attracted to certain boys in class and so on, but I didn't really think about it or attach a label to it or kind of internalize it at all. But at sixteen. I, I literally woke up one morning and knew that I was homosexual, which was the word we used in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, oh, this is what I am, you know, now kind how, of thing. And, and I knew. How do you think that happened? How do, I, I really don't know. I literally woke up with that thought on my mind. I, it was so striking that the rest of the day, I remember I was at school. I went around in a fog at school uh, because it had just hit me that hard. And along with it was a feeling that I was supposed to be that way, too. I mean, it was kind of a certitude, you know, that I was on a path I was supposed to be on, and this was it. I really, I cannot answer that question. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew. I've always loved your story and different things you've said because I always think to myself, you know, you're 81, so back then, what when you were 16, what was what year was it? Uh, that would have been about 1954, 55. Yeah, so I mean, nobody was saying that word anywhere, and well, they were, but in negative ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. So then that had to be the, you were living with that day too, is here you knew you were homosexual and it had to be a very negative 
feeling, to, no? To an ex- no, it wasn't actually. It was not. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I did not have any conflict about it. I didn't have any regret about it. I didn't have a, oh my God, how this happened sort of thing. Nothing like that. It was just, oh, this is who I am. And that's what I lived with for that whole day. And then after that, um, the realization about how I came to realize that this was a negative thing as far as the world was concerned. That that all came in time. And how so? Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, I think maybe the first time I heard the word queer was from my older brother and his friends joking around about people. And listening to them, it kind of dawned on me what it meant, what the word queer meant. And it was in those days, it was not just an, a neutral label. It was an insult. And then we, we had a lot of magazines and newspapers in the house, and uh, they were not devoid of news about homosexuals. I mean, there was a lot of news about them. For one thing, President Eisenhower, I think it was in 1955, issued a, uh, a presidential order that all gay employees of the State Department would be fired here with, and they were. Oh, my God. Uh, that was a huge thing in those days. That was a big story in the paper. And then there were routine local things. For example, the uh, you'd see pictures in the paper of gay men being loaded into police wagons after a raid on a gay bar, or as the newspaper called them, homo bars, and carted off to the precinct uh, for booking. Uh, their names would be published. Their pictures would be published in the paper. So, you know, I, I got the idea <laughs> definitely that this was not something the world looked favorably on. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember that... It, that was all kind of outside of me. I lived in kind of a, oh, a middle to upper middle class bubble, uh, going to Catholic schools and everything. So it didn't like impinge on my life, mm-hmm. but it was there. I saw it, you know, I, I, I got it. This is what I've always liked about talking with you is learning about different eras, right? Because I didn't know that there was so much talk. I thought it was just invisible. And if there was any talk, it was tiny little articles, but it no, wasn't. No, not at all. Uh, Things happened, uh, uh, you know, 10 years later, we had Stonewall. Um, really, you can go, every era had its gay story. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, it was Leonard Matlovich, the Air Force guy, who, who volunteered to be a test case before the courts as to whether the, the military could let people go just for being homosexual. Well, that was another thing. I joined the National Guard while I was in college. I joined at the age of 18, and one, one of the boxes you had to check off was, are you a homosexual? And of course, I had to check no, or I wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten in. And, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, there were all that was going on. I'm really glad you're bringing that up because people today say, you know, I teach that you shouldn't be using the word homosexual because this mm-hmm. has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. You know, younger uh, millennial gays and and younger don't believe, don't agree with that, and they feel like you go ahead and use it. But they were never asked, are you a known homosexual yeah. and dishonorably discharged from the military, right? Right, right? Or blamed for the hate crime that was committed. I mean, that does still happen today. Sure. But it's it's just a different – so people will say when you're heterosexual, they're heterosexual. Why – heterosexual is not a bad word. Why is homosexual? This is why. Well, it's considered a more – today I think people think of it as more of a medical term, mm. kind of a diagnostic term that was used by Freud originally. Mm-hmm. It's an old term going way back. I really avoid it. I'm glad gay came along. Although when it did, we thought it sounded funny, mm-hmm. almost a little silly, you know, because mm-hmm. it meant funny, it meant joyful in a kind of 
playful way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took a while to get used to that, but actually it turned out to be a very good thing. Oh, my God. I'm just loving this conversation. We've never talked about any of this, you and me. Right. But just to think that you were like around when gay came out, yeah. right? And then you had to get used to that yeah, word. Exactly. Like I've had to get used to the word queer, right? Mm-hmm. Because queer was always, like you said, so negative. I still have a problem with that one. It's going to beat me up. You know, it's <laughs> my brain still goes there. Some of the better magazines are starting to use it more routinely yeah. now. And that helps, but still. Yeah. You're imprinted with whatever you <laughs> <laughs> you learned at 16 or 17. Yeah, or so. gay imprint, I guess, right? Right, exactly. So you're talking about those raids. Um, can I ask, Have you? did you ever do any cruising? You know, I never did. Um, I wasn't personally inclined to do it. I was more interested in relationships and love and romance. <laughs> that was just me. Um, so I, I just wasn't inclined to do it. But in addition to that, I saw those things in the paper where the police raided bars. Mm-hmm. I was very aware of that. And... Over time, learned that the police entrap people. Mm-hmm. I was a, my, the first seven years of my working life. I was a teacher. I had to be very careful about anything like that, mm-hmm. and I was just naturally careful about it anyway. I was not really interested in going to parks or restrooms or anything like that. But I, you know, I saw the people who did do that mm-hmm. got, got caught, and so that was just something I didn't do and didn't never thought seriously mm-hmm. of doing. And just so people understand, that still does happen today. It's not this, it's not as much as it used to. And in the nineties, when I was an early gay affirmative therapist, LGBT affirmative therapist, I used to get clients because there was, and Jeffrey Montgomery uh, right. taught me about right. this. He used to be with the Triangle Foundation, sure. which is the equality of, for yeah. Michigan today. And he would talk about that the police had this, um, program called Bag a Fag. And they would go to the public places that gay men would be at and pretend to be gay themselves. Literally, my clients would say, let them touch them so that then they could arrest them. And I used to wonder, what kind of cop is willing to do this and engage right. in it? You know what I mean? Don't you wonder? Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And these li- men's lives were destroyed and they were in right. the paper and their names would be listed and their wives would find out. Just awful. Yeah. Very bad. You know? Very bad. I, I don't know if it goes on in Michigan anymore. Uh, that I don't know I either. sort of state by state. Mm-hmm. And I know people listening might say, well, why are gay men going to public places anymore when we, they don't necessarily well, need to? I asked Jeff Montgomery that. I said, you know, we're spending a lot of money to defend folks who are doing this over and over again, knowing that the police are doing – you know, there are a lot of ins and outs, yeses and nos on it, good and bad. But the fact is the police should not have been doing that. No. Right. There should have been a different way. Right. Um, and, you know, back then. And there are th- different ways. Yeah. Plenty now. Yeah. Right? right. But, you know, a lot of other people, um, even today, but back then, they didn't want to go into a gay bar. They didn't see themselves as gay. They didn't. I mean, it's a whole different podcast, right? right. Or their exactly. their culture, or their religion or whatever. So a quick hookup and then go home is like it didn't happen. And, yeah, it was compartmentalized. We're lucky that we didn't have to live that way, you and I. Very. You know. Um, so let's talk about. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about your job. So what was it like? You came out to your family later, but what about work? I just never – it was never a problem at work because I never talked about it. Um, certainly in teaching, I didn't. Uh, and then when I uh, left teaching and went into the business world, um, I just didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if there were social events that involved wives or bringing women to them – uh, I just didn't go. Mm-hmm. And it was a big company. I worked for a large insurance company, so that was not a problem. But basically, I just didn't. I didn't talk about it really until the 80s when the coming out movement started. And even then, I didn't talk about it, but I didn't hide it either. When friends would talk about, friends at work, people I was close to would talk about 
uh, what they were doing for the weekend or for the summer or whatever. I talk about my partner and I. Mm-hmm. You'd say that? his name. Yeah. Okay. My partner, Doug, and I. These were people I trusted. I didn't say it to just anybody, but mm-hmm. people I knew and liked and had socialized with as well as working with. Did you feel bad about that? Not telling back then? Geez, I can't remember if I had an emotion about it. I just did what what was the appropriate thing to do, or I thought was at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. That was it. See, I used to feel angry um, in the 80s when I was coming out. My sister had this boyfriend and always welcome at the dinner table and you know could talk about him. And I remember thinking, fuck that. I'm sorry. I did. I'm like, I'm not living differently than her just because I'm gay and can't. And so I – if she had a boyfriend, I would talk about mine. If she brought someone home, I'd bring someone home. So I had a different – I was a little more angry about it, I think. Oh, it was in my face. You know, why Why not? I mean, it is unfair. There's yeah. no doubt about it. I didn't experience – I didn't put two and two together like that mm-hmm. in, our, in our house. But I can see where somebody could and would. And, you know, the old me used to think that that you <clears throat> didn't was internalized homophobia. I would have labeled it right away. I don't see it that way anymore. It's a generational thing. It it's is. a religious mm-hmm. thing. It's a cultural thing. I get it now. <laughs> Remember, I used to say this to you. I know. I, I, just, <laughs> I let <Sorry>. it pass. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I was just sorry. so militant. No problem. You know, <laughs> I've changed. Okay, so let's talk about your book, Jerome, uh, Gay Coming of Age Story. What what made you write this book? You know, it didn't start as a book. It started as a short story. My career was in business writing. I wrote speeches and annual reports and so on. And when I retired, I thought, I, and I think a lot of business writers go through this, I wonder if I could write fiction. I wonder if I have the talent to do that or the ability to do that. And I thought, I'll just do a short story. I've got the time now, 10 pages if it has a plot, a beginning, a middle, and an end, I'll be happy. I'll toss it in the basket and forget about it. Check that off my to-do list. So I did. But the problem was when I got to page 10, that that was then turned to page 15, 20, 30. I mean, it just grew. Mm. In a sense, the characters told me what they wanted to do next. I mean, it was in my own mind, but it kind of worked that way, mm-hmm. oddly. And so I would write it down, and just it just grew. And finally, I had over 250 pages. Wow. <laughs> so we, I was able to call that a novel, and mm-hmm. I showed it to some people, and they said, this is, they really approved, they liked it, mm-hmm. and encouraged me to get it published. I didn't get it published. I got it printed, maybe 10 copies at a time, and gave it to anybody who wanted it. But it's now on Amazon. Which I'm so happy for you about. Thank you. Right, because it should be available to everybody who wants to read it. Thanks. You know? And it's just like you said, It's because uh, I've been reading it, and it does talk about Detroit. If you're from Detroit, you yeah. remember places, or actually some of the places, I, I don't remember what they were, but I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the streets, and, and, mm-hmm. and then it reminds you of what the 50s were like. Oh, yeah. You Much really different. did a good job. It was, there were kind of some kind of neat things about the 50s. Mm-hmm. They had their problems, God knows, but... There were some fun things about it. Uh, one thing I try to make clear to everybody about the book is that even though it's written in the first person, the main character speaks throughout it as I. It isn't me. <laughs> oh, oh, I was going to make sure of that. Okay. It's not right. an autobiography. You're not Jerome. It's me. I'm not. His, his life, my life as an adolescent was much calmer and less dramatic than yeah. his. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerome has problems that I didn't have, mm-hmm. but that's one of the reasons it was fun writing that that book. Mm-hmm. I was able to get myself into his predicament and try to get him out of it. What do you think? Him made, try to get out of it. Yeah. What made you think about creating that kind of character? Yeah, I I, I don't know. In you. I don't know where he came from. Mm-hmm. I really don't. It wasn't me. It was just just he was just there. Yeah, he's very oh, vivid. It's very it's very good. Thank you. 
Um, so can you tell us how long were you in your relationship? Uh, with Doug? Yes. Uh, 23 years. 23 years. How'd you meet him? Uh, we were introduced by a, actually by a fellow I was seeing at the time. Mm-hmm. We weren't really in a relationship. We dated a couple times. I think we both knew it wasn't working out too well. But anyway, we all met with some friends at a club on one Saturday night, and he brought a, a friend of his who, was, who happened to be Doug. And uh, while we were sitting around during the evening having drinks, Doug asked me to dance. And you could still slow dance in those days. I don't mm-hmm. think you can do that now <laughs> in bars, but you could then. And in gay so, bars. Yeah. Oh, I can't in even clubs. imagine slow dance yeah, yeah. in a gay well, bar. They, they would alternate the music. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. Okay, so that's you, nice. If you were with somebody you wanted to be with, it was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway, so he asked asked me to dance not just once or twice, but three or four times. And, you know, that was it. I mean, we just got along and the next – we were together all the – for two decades after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it hard – like uh, – You've said to me over the years, you know, you felt it might be easier to be gay and openly gay and in a relationship back in the older days because um, people didn't think about it, right? Well, I call it flying under the radar. And in that sense, it was easier. Uh, it's much better today. I would never want to go back, anybody to go back to those days. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you could do that. I mean, if you, if your family is saying, oh, that's, he's a confirmed bachelor and uh, they're calling your partner your friend. I know I had a my mm-hmm. very best friend did that right through his whole life until mm-hmm. he died. He, he he never did tell his parents. Oh yeah, you know. So you could do that. I also moved away from home and I moved downtown, got my own apartment, and so the family wasn't there to see me. Uh, I could do what I wanted and go where I wanted. I made new friends, both gay and straight. Mm-hmm. So I just that's what I call it, flying under the radar. Right. Which, in that sense, nobody talked about it in those days. Polite people did not talk about that it. That would just – Or, oh, an, or any sex that. thing. <laughs> so you could just do what you wanted yeah. to do. What, would, what do you think would happen if you did talk about it? People would be very uncomfortable and they yeah. would just sort of look away. Yeah. And it, it would just be ghastly. Yeah, <laughs> just, right. I just didn't do it. Right. I know totally understand yeah. that because if it was going to change the tone of the, the tenor yeah. of your relationship. And it could change your relationship too. Yeah. yeah you're right. So – just avoided that. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, and then, can you talk a little bit about um, things have changed, right? So you went from a right. young man to a middle-aged man, right. and now an older adult. Right. What has that been like as a gay man? That, and what changes have you seen? Well, you know, there are negatives to it. I mean, I think that it's. Uh, we all know that in the gay community, there are two currencies that are very valuable: youth and looks. Mm-hmm. And as you age, you know, you whatever looks you had, if you had any, you lose them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, your age is your age. Yes. You can't do anything about that. So I think it makes it tougher to date and to meet people mm-hmm. and to form relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't date anymore at this point. I did up until about the age of seventy-five, uh, but I don't now. It's my social life centers on my friends, both gay and straight. Mm-hmm. Go out to lunch, go out to dinner, go over to their homes. They come to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, we do things, but uh, that's where I center my really my life now. And I'm I'm not really in gay life uh, anymore mm-hmm. as such. Does that bother you? Do you just you just adapted to it? It's just what it is mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I don't regret it or have any profound feelings about it it's, mm-hmm. my life is I like my life the way it is it's mm-hmm. satisfying I, uh, I'm i able to see my friends and do things and mm-hmm. right you have a good life I, I do you know I do I miss romance yes do I miss having somebody to love and to be loved by yes I do mm-hmm. but 
that's I'm 81. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, and people may ask if you don't mind me asking, um, uh, what what happened to your relationship? Well, Doug died. Yeah, right. He, in 1997, he had lived. He was a great guy. He was a very strong man. He had fought for years to maintain his health in the face of um, of a blood disease that was incurable mm-hmm. called polycythemia. And he did. He managed it very well with the help of good doctors. But in the end, it uh, it got him, and he died mm-hmm. uh, in his sixties in nineteen ninety seven. Mm-hmm. So, and then after that, it probably took you a while to you know grieve and oh, right. I mean. <laughs> Maybe two years. Yeah, right. <clears throat> before I really sort of came out of that stage. and um, You know what's crazy to me is there's only one book, and it's out of print, uh, for uh, relation, gay relation, male relationships where one dies. It's called Gay Widowers, Michael oh, Chernoff. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, now he's even deceased. But um, yeah, I wrote about it. A long, I reviewed it. And, and you know, the sto- there's stories of gay men and what happened and how you went through it. And it's a good book, you know. What would you say um, – is wisdom that you have a um I know you have lots of wisdom you know so people don't know because we're we've been friends for a long time um you know that I've always looked at you to as wisdom for wisdom and I used to call you my gay elder and you used to hate that and now that I'm an elder I hate it too so I completely understand you know one day Joe we're going to have to own it right? I know I know well we older adult that's what they say now yeah, they don't even say seniors but that's sort of a- that's a workaround. I know so, it is a workaround, yeah, but old, I like it. Right? I know, no, I'm old, you're not old, <laughs> no, yeah. we're both. We're sorry, yeah. um, but but I've always looked to you for wisdom, and I've always looked said to you, you know, what do you think about this? Plus, your life has been less dramatic than mine. You're more calm, and I have all this drama going. What would you say is the biggest kinds of wisdoms you wanted to tell people? You know, well, nobody's ever asked me. I, you know, I've never had a young people come to me and say, "Oh, wise one, what do you think I should do about <laughs> this or that?" Never, but. You know, if I had to tell, talk to anybody, whether gay or straight, young or old, I would just say there, there are just three things. Um, uh, and one of them is to be, uh, be proud of who you are uh, as a gay person, be honest and generous in your relationships, and be kind to people. Mm. I, I just think that's those are the three things, no matter who you are mm-hmm. or what your station in life is, if you do those three you're going to be happier with yourself mm-hmm. as a person. Which I think you are all three of those things over the 20 oh, years I've known you. Thank you. Yeah, I really have appreciated it's, your friendship. It's a daily effort. <laughs> yeah, all right. I know it's an effort for all of us, especially when people aren't that way back to us, right? <laughs> it happens. I'm so glad you were on here, and I'm so glad you talked about Jerome, your book. Um, what would you? Where can people find it again? Well, it is on Amazon. You do have to, if you go there, you have to input that's the title of the book is simply Jerome, but to get it on the on the website, you do have to input Jerome, a gay coming of age story, and we had to do that because if you just input Jerome, you get a whole bunch of books by people who, who whose name is Jerome, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you can't see the book you're looking for. So that you makes do sense. Have to put that other part, and they can put your name in spell, and your name will be on the website. So that right, if they put in Jim Girardi, uh, James Girardi. Oh, James. They put, yeah, Jerome by James Girardi brings it up too, but. Uh, yeah, either way. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I really thank appreciate you for it. having me. It was fun. Yeah, great. it was. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J O E K O R T.com. See you next time. <laughs>